Mark Twain once said that history does not repeat, but it does rhyme. As you've just heard in that previous episode, this moment between 250 and about 270 AD was a moment where the church went through events somewhat similar to our own, but on a whole greater magnitude. The pandemic that they faced was something so much more horrendous than anything we've ever experienced with COVID. The divisions that came within the church between the conservative factions and the more lenient factions were much greater than any of the divisions that are currently faced by the church today. The persecutions that were faced were so much greater than anything we could imagine, particularly here in the Western world. But what they faced does speak to us today. And if history does rhyme, I would suggest that it's because there is something of the human heart which always responds in similar ways. And so what we do find in this moment of history is something very important for us today in the church. The events that took place around the time of Pope Sixtus II are very important for us today. If we're going to understand where is the spirit moving within the church, where is the point of temptation and challenge within the church today, I think we can find something really quite clear spoken in these events. In these three particular moments that occurred, the, the plague, the point where people turned against the Pope, or at least where Novation presented himself as being the anti-Pope. And then finally, this moment of extreme persecution, where any leaders within the church were being arrested and killed. Each of these moments speaks a very powerful story. And as I tried to bring out in the story that you've just heard, there are very similar questions being asked by the Christians of that time to the same things that we've been hearing in this last couple of years. Firstly, around the issue of the plague, I found it quite fascinating that we have a beautiful insight into the questions that were being asked because the letters of St. Cyprian have been so well preserved. And Cyprian wrote his letters in such a personal way, addressing the questions of the people. And as mentioned, you know, when so many Christians had an enormous faith that Jesus would preserve them, and very much this was coming from that beautiful psalm where it says that the Lord will preserve you from plague if you believe. And we know that down through history, as many plagues have hit the world, Christians have clung to that scripture in great faith that if only they are faithful and they believe, they will not be harmed. The writings of Cyprian are really interesting because he believes, he knows the power of God, but he puts it very much in perspective when he responds to them by saying, Jesus did not die so that you could live happily on this world. He died on the cross so that you could live happily in the next. And so we should embrace the moment of our death. We should look forward to it and therefore not be afraid of any plague. If anything, see it as something beautiful that is going to bring us to heaven even faster. That just seems to me to be a moment of clarity 
someone speaking into the fear and the confusion and just reminding the Christians about what the whole center of the story is all about. You know, we do believe in miracles and we do believe in healing, but it all happens within a particular context and a particular perspective. And I think even though we now find ourselves on the tail end of a pandemic, that's a good point to remember for whenever the next disease hits, that we can speak very clearly to people about what the whole point of our life is about. The second point around the divisions that came up within the church. I think this is a very important moment. Sometimes when people speak about persecution in the church, it's sometimes spoken in a very romantic way, that somehow the church was the most united when it was persecuted. To some degree, that was the case when you look through history because they were so focused on trying to stay alive that they didn't have time to fight over theology. And we do know that when the time of intense persecution finished, around the time of the conversion of the Emperor Constantine, the church suddenly started arguing about theological matters and tearing itself apart. It was, it was no longer busy trying to stay alive and it could now wrestle and argue and all sorts of divisions occurred at that point. However, what we do see through the historical record is that there is a very particular form of disunity that comes when there is persecution. And really what it comes down to is where do you draw the line? At what point has society gone too far and, and you now stand up and prepare to die for your faith? The reality is that every Christian has a different definition about where that line actually is. A great example of this is if you look in the, the book of, well, the first and second book of Maccabees in, in the Old Testament. That speaks about the persecution that the Jewish people experienced when they were being occupied by the Greek Empire. And what you find there is that there were two clear groups amongst the Jewish people. There was the one group that believed that if we just play the game and we compromise, things will stay peaceful and everything will be okay. We can continue worshipping and living our faith. But then there was another group that drew a much harder line and said, no, you know, this has already gone too far and we now have to take up arms and fight. It's a beautiful example, I think, of what we're experiencing even today. You know, where there are many Christians who would say we are already under great persecution and it has already gone too far and we now need to start taking serious action. But there are others who are saying we need to work with the world and dialogue and collaborate. And here is where we're starting to see a very modern version of these events where some people would look at the church leaders, the bishops and the pope, and say that they have failed us because they are somehow watering down the faith. Whereas others would say that they are trying to navigate a difficult situation and lead us to a place where we can continue worshipping. There are no clear answers in this. I think very simply this is where we need to learn how to really listen to the prompting of the Spirit 
but very much being aware of how the spirit of fear can cloud that discernment. Because I think when you look at these events where you had a particular man rise up and declare himself the Pope because he believed that the Pope had failed the church, he was probably convinced that he was following the prompting of the Holy Spirit. But in hindsight, we would look back and say that he was driven by a fear. It's a very difficult thing to discern. I think finally, that, that third point around the persecution. This is something which we need to talk about more as a church. Not simply as a way of preparing ourselves if this ever happens again, but really in the context of discipleship. To understand what does it actually mean to be a disciple? And what level of faith does a person need to come to for them to actually be able to take a stand. The events that I was recounting in that story were from around the year 250. If you go back a 100 years earlier into the, the, the city of Lyon, there was a, another great persecution that was experienced around the time of St. Irenaeus. In the history of Eusebius, we have a, a very clear description of what these events were and how they took place. And there's a number of things that he mentions in here which I think are actually quite important for us. He talks very clearly, if, if you're interested, this is in the history of Eusebius, uh, book five. Um, just go and read through that whole, that whole chapter. He basically talks about how so many of the Christians had been arrested and taken into the arena where they were going to be killed uh, or, or fed to wild animals. He talks about how many of the Christians at that moment bailed out. They, they renounced their faith. He, he, actually, he actually uses the term abortions. You know, he basically says they, they almost terminated their faith at, this, at that point. Um, it's, it's an unusual word, but, but he's, he's trying to sort of describe it as best he can, that they... This was the moment when they were meant to almost come to the moment of their birth in faith. But instead, they, they failed. But the interesting thing is, he talks about those who were not prepared to be martyred. And he says, some appeared unprepared and untrained, weak as yet, and, and unable to endure so great a conflict. What... Eusebius is, is drawing on here is he's trying to talk about the fact that we, we are meant to be trained for battle. St. Paul talks about the idea of training himself like a boxer. You know, he doesn't just beat the air, but he, he, he beats his body. You know, he's, he's trying to train himself so that on that day when he has to give an account for his faith, he will not fail. I think we have been trained in a very comfortable faith. We've been trained in a church which is almost like a consumer faith. Give me the most comfortable church with the most comfortable chairs, the best homily and the best air conditioning. We, we have failed to actually work out how do we ever stand firm in the, faith of, in, the, in the face of hardship. This account of this persecution is quite famous because it highlights particularly one of the female martyrs. And it talks about this woman whose name is Blandina. 
And sadly, I think this name is not well known enough in the church. It, it, it needs to be something really quite proclaimed. Because for the early church, this woman was one of the great heroes. And, and they, they focused on this story showing how this young woman showed greater strength than many of the gladiators did. And, and this is where her name became so well known amongst the Roman Empire because they were used to these great warriors fighting to the death and yet they saw this young woman who was tortured beyond belief and yet kept getting back up and refusing to renounce her faith. In the story of Blandina, it talks about the fact that she was almost highlighted to be an example. You know, they thought that if they could break her, it would mean that everyone else would break as well. In the account, it goes through quite graphically talking about how they repeatedly over many days in, in the centre of the arena before this whole crowd tortured her, burnt her. You know, it talks about how they... they, they like her, her entire body was mangled and broken. They testified that one of these forms of torture was enough to destroy a person's life. And yet she went through every single form of torture. So great, enormous sufferings, and yet did not buckle under that pressure. In, in the account, it goes on, it says, this blessed woman, like a noble athlete, renewed her strength in her confession. And her comfort and recreation and relief from the pain of her sufferings was in exclaiming, I am a Christian, and there is nothing vile that we have ever done. And the context of that was because there were so many horrendous accusations being passed against these Christians, that they were being accused of eating their children, of all sorts of vile and horrendous immoral behaviour. And yet the Christians basically stood there and confessed their innocence and allowed themselves to be tortured and to never renounce their faith. In the end, after many days of torture, Blandino was eventually killed. She died alongside a young boy who she, as it says, she basically cared for like a mother and very much like the story in the book of Maccabees where the mother speaks to her sons encouraging them to never give up and to, to, to die for their faith. It talks about how she stood there strong, leading others to stand firm for their faith. We need these stories to be told again. In telling the story of the early martyrs, I didn't quite know how to finish. And I thought the only way to really finish was by reading the words of St. Cyprian the letter that he wrote to the churches saying that we know persecution is coming and we know that we're about to die. and We want you to tell the story of the Pope's death and beheading. Tell this story to everyone to strengthen their faith for the, the wave of violence that's about to break over us. It was about a month later that Cyprian was killed. And many of the other bishops and priests and leaders of the church were rounded up and executed. His letters and his exhortation to us remain. And I think once again, we need to take up that calling. Let's tell the stories of the martyrs. Tell them regularly. As much as we may find them horrendous and, and horrific, 
allow these stories to strengthen us, allow them to inspire us so that we can stand firm no matter what happens in our life.